Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Good. Well, like Peyton said, my name is Jacqueline, and I serve as the women's ministry leader here at Faith Co. Uh, Bobby, uh, my friend Bobby, I don't, uh, Bobby, there you are, Bobby. Hey, Bobby. Uh, Bobby said this morning, he said, my friends, my connect group was asking when the next Empower event, when the next women's ministry event was, and he said it was Sunday. So, ha, 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 this is the Empower event. The women's ministry leader speaking. No, I'm just kidding. This is for men and women today. Obviously, we're kicking off the relationship status series. And I'm so excited that our senior pastor asked me to give a little bit of wisdom, some some marriage tips that I've learned along the way. Uh, I jumped on the chance whenever he texted me. I was like, yes, absolutely. I I, want to speak. I want to do this. And then after the excitement kind of faded, I was actually pretty shocked. I was shocked that he asked me. Uh, Because like I said last week, I was 18 years old whenever I got married. I was just a baby getting married. And I never would have ever seen myself at 29 years old being married 11 years later and my senior pastor asking me to share some wisdom over marriage. It was kind of a full circle moment for me. I I felt really grown up. Like I was like, man, I have arrived because my my senior pastor is asking me to speak about this. And some of you, you've been married 20, 30, 40 years and you're like, you're just a baby. I agree, I am, and there's lots, lots more uh, years ahead of me. But if you knew the way that we started out, you would know what such a miracle it is that I am up here speaking to you about marriage. Like I said, I was 18. Uh, this hunk of a man right here is my husband. Babe, wave your, wave, wave. stand up, jump around so everybody can see you. Now, um, this hunk of a man right here is my husband. We've been married 11 years. I was 18, he was 20. So we were just a couple of babies. Uh, not just that, but we both came from divorced homes. So we got married when we were just babies, and we had never seen what an actual great marriage looked like when we got married. Not only that, but about seven months after we got married, I had our first child. So within a year, just a couple of kids got married who had never seen a, a good, solid marriage before. And then we had a baby. So I say all that to say that it really is a full circle moment for me. I really had to sit down and I had to thank God for a minute and say thank you that by your grace, I have come, we, we've come to this place where not only are we still married, because I know people say that. They're like, well, at least we're still married. No, 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 no. I'm not just still married. I have a really great marriage. I have a thriving marriage. And I don't say that to toot our own horns. Uh, We are in no way perfect. Our marriage is in no way perfect. We fight. We say things that hurt each other. We agree to disagree a lot. I mean, we just had one of those times where I was like, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we are. So believe me, we have those moments. We're not perfect. But we really do have an amazing relationship. And so I'm really proud of that today. I'm really excited to uh, kind of dig in and I want to give tips and I want to give a little bit of wisdom that I've shared over the last 11 years. But first, I want to show you guys a video. And this is just a little bit of a glimpse into my marriage, into our relationship. It was a really fun video to film. And so we're going to watch that really quick and then we're going to get into the message. I didn't, can you repeat the question? No, no, absolutely not. No doubts whatsoever. 
Can I say it on screen? Yeah. The best advice I received was have lots of sex. It works things out. Who told you that? My mother. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple of kids and we had our own opinions and we had our own way of doing things and it was really hard for us to kind of meld all that together. When we do, I think we're just really diligent about not leaving them open. We sit down and we say, okay, how do we fix this? You know, uh, we're really... Even if we disagree. I think we genuinely show each other love every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we do regular date nights, um, which I think is a really big strength in marriage because we just genuinely enjoy spending time alone time with each other. I've still got a pretty big temper. Amen to that. You do. Yeah. I still like to know everything and let you know that I know everything. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. You sound like you have a perfect marriage. Oh, if only people could be a fly on the wall. No, no, we, we really should have our own reality show. <laughs> It'd be funny. I think that we have grown up. I think just as yeah. people, we've grown up and our relationship with God has grown. It's just, it's just like a gradual process. Like your relationship with God grows, you grow, and then your marriage just grows. invest in every area of our marriage and our kids and so I just I think I just love your commitment. Um, I love the fact that you hold me accountable because I need that in my life. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Alright, right, quit brushing your beard. This is great b-roll footage right here. Okay. That was a really fun video that we got to do. We did it with Savannah or Vans, our pastor's daughter, and I think we had her nearly crying. She was laughing so hard at us. Uh, but we never have sat down and made a video like that before, and so that was really fun for us to get to do. Now, I want to dive right into what I like to call the meat of the message because I have 28 minutes, and I'll tell you why that matters. When I went to put this message together, I had a theme going, and it was 11, okay? I've been married for 11 years, so the name of my message was going to be 11 years later, and I was going to have 11 ways to a thriving marriage. And so I printed out my notes, and I, I sent them to Pastor Travis, because I do that before any message that I speak for him to give me feedback and constructive criticism, and he was like, 11 points, 11. Okay, so he's breaking it down. He's saying, how much time for each point? And he's like, can we, like, maybe just condense that down to maybe three to five points? Or maybe you could turn this into a two to three-part series, or I'm just really worried about that. And I went and I told Butch, I said, listen to this, 11 ways to a thriving marriage. And he was like, you got to cut that down. I'd like to be out of there before dinner time. So I bring to you this morning nine ways to a thriving marriage. I cut it down too. That's as good as it's going to get. So nine ways to a thriving marriage. If you're a note taker, please take notes because like I said, I'm going to kind of fly through this a little bit, but um, you can go back and you can, you can look over the notes a little bit more in depth if you so choose. Number one, respect. There has to be respect. It, there has to be respect 
on both sides, man and woman. You both have to be able to respect each other. But this is more for the men because men need to feel respected. They may not feel respected in the workplace. They may not feel respected by their peers. But they need to feel respected by their wives and in their homes. The problem was is that in the first couple of years of my marriage, my husband wanted to demand my respect solely on the basis that he was the man. No, you have to respect me. No, you have to. It's, it's, it's what God wants you to do. God wants you to respect me. You have to. You can't say that to me. You can't do that. That's not respecting me. And at 18, 19, 20 years old, if he was demanding something from me, it pretty much 100% guaranteed I wasn't going to do it. Thank you. But... After one particularly bad argument, and this came up again, I said, do you feel like you are the kind of man I can respect? And he looked at me, and I remember I could see the wheels turning, and I could see him really thinking about that. And after that, a shift started to happen in our marriage and in our relationship. And he stopped demanding respect from me, and he just started loving me. He just started being more gentle with me. And when we would have an argument, I'm the more hot-tempered one, and so he would go the way of being more patient. And that started to cultivate a sense of respect from me. I watched my husband over the last 11 years grow into a man that I could respect. So men, I wanna challenge you here today. Are you a man worthy of her respect? You see, respect empowers each other, okay? I respect him as a leader of my home, and therefore he's able to lead my home. He's able to lead my home in a strong and confident and godly way. And then as a result of that, I'm able to develop into the strong and confident and godly woman that I was meant to be. It's a give and take kind of thing. You empower each other when you respect each other. You also learn how to selflessly serve each other when you respect each other. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. You guys, good. The first service was like, nobody did it. Just let me do it. Number two, and listen, this one's mainly for the women. And before you ladies start throwing tomatoes up here and booing me off the stage, let me explain, okay? Number two, if you want a thriving marriage, ladies, we really do have to submit. Let me tell you, the verse that I disliked the most in the first three years of my marriage was Ephesians 5, 22 through 23. Coincidentally enough, it was the only verse that my husband had memorized, and he said it to me almost daily. Let me read it to you. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. I had a huge problem with that. 
Because I thought that submission to him meant that I was the lesser one of us. And I thought that it meant that I didn't get a choice in the decision making. I, I didn't get to give my opinions. I didn't get to, to uh, you know, have a hand in the things that we did. I thought it meant that I was the weaker link. And I did not want to be the weaker link. It was until I allowed God to work on my heart and help me to realize that submission to my husband did not mean weakness in me. Submission to my husband meant respect for God. Submission to my husband meant trust in God. Because a lot of the times I was like, he does not have this under control. There is no way he's going to be able to make this decision. I got to get my hand up in this, and I got to make sure that everything runs smoothly. But I had to recognize that God was telling me, I have placed him in the position of leadership in your home. You cannot control everything. I am in control here. I am working on him. You stay out of it. God's had to tell me that a lot. Submission is a sign of humility, which is something that it has always been an issue for me. Humility is a big thing. And so I had to learn how to humble myself and say, no, you don't know everything. You don't know exactly what's supposed to be happening. And believe me, believe me, ladies, there is nobody else in this room who, who is more girl power than I am. Okay, I lead a women's ministry, for crying out loud. I work outside of my home. I have two daughters that I empower. And so if anybody in here goes the way of a feminist, it is me. That's why I had such a hard, problem, a hard time with this. But here's the deal. God equipped him in ways that he did not equip me to lead my home. And that was something, that, 11 years later, I can say that. That was a hard pill to swallow. But here's the deal. There are two parts to that verse. Let me read you the second part. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Wives, we have a job in that we are to recognize that God has equipped our husbands as the leader of our homes. Men, you have a job to love your wife the way that Christ loves her. Well, how does Christ love her? He died for her. He looks at her and he sees her as precious and cherished enough to lay down his life for her. There has been no other man in my entire life who has loved me as closely to the way that Christ loves me as that man sitting right there. Therefore, that man gets my respect as a leader of my home for the rest of my life. Number three, if you want to have a thriving marriage, you got to cultivate. You've got to cultivate each other's dreams. Listen, don't be afraid to let your spouse outshine you. There are things that he's better at than I am, and there are things that I'm better at than he is. Do not let that intimidate you. Instead, encourage that. Be the one who says, hey, I recognize this in you. Let's grow that. Hey, I want to help you with that dream. No, that dream's not too big. No, that dream's not too far outside the realm of possibility. You and I are going to make this happen. That's what you guys are there to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to 
see their strengths, we're going to say their strengths, and we're going to grow their strengths. Okay, I want you guys to say that with me. I want you to say it after I say it. First, we're going to see their strengths, say their strengths, and grow their strengths. There are dreams and desires and passions that God has placed on the heart of my husband that only I can help him grow. Only I can help him cultivate because I was made for him. There are dreams on the inside of your husband's heart that only you can help him grow. Only you can help him achieve. There are dreams on your, uh, inside of your wife's heart that only you can help, him, help her grow. Number four, if you want a thriving marriage, you got to prioritize. Prioritize your spouse above your kids. Look at your neighbor and say, ooh, she went there. Ooh, she did. Spend time together without your kids. Go on dates without your kids. Go on vacation without your kids. Go on, on trip, small trips without your kids. Here's how it goes. It goes God, your spouse, and your kids. Because here's the deal. Whenever I, what I do with and for him benefits my kids. A fruitful marriage benefits my kids. Two parents who love and prioritize and make each other important benefits my kids. My oldest always comes to me and she says, why do you go on vacations without me? I want to go to the beach too. And I say, because that's just how it is. Your dad and I have to spend time alone together. And I want her to come back to me when she's an adult and she's married. And I want her to say, okay, I see why you did that. Thank you for prioritizing your marriage. Thank you for giving me that to watch my entire life. Number five, and this is a big one. If you're going to have a thriving marriage, there has to be love. 1 John 4, 20 through 21 lays it out for us. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. No, your spouse is not your brother or sister. That's not what he means. He means the people around you, your family, uh, your friends, especially your spouse. If you cannot love the person sleeping next to you, the person doing life with you, and love them well, how can you truly love God? Jesus gave us two commandments. He said, love God with all your heart and soul and love others. When you learn to love well, when you learn to love your spouse well, it pleases God. And as Christians, our number one, one of our number one goals should be to always please God. Single people in the house. Yeah, girl. Yes. I want to challenge you, find someone who loves God more than they love you. And on the same note, love God more than you love them. Because then you will not expect them to fill needs that only God can fulfill. As much as I love my husband and as much as he loves me, only one man has ever died for me. 
Only God can love me with that supernatural love. Only God can bring me peace that passes all understanding. Only God can bring me complete and total joy. Now, does my husband love me? Does he bring me peace? Does he bring me joy? Yes. Do I depend on him for that? No. I depend on God for that. And the fact that he gives me that willingly is just icing on the cake. I don't know, you guys. I might preach. Number six, you got to pray. You got to pray together. You have to pray over each other. Listen, pray every day over each other. And you may say, well, I'm too busy. We're too busy for that. We can't do that. Pray over your spouse anyways. Pray on your way to work. Pray that God blesses them, that God shows them favor. Well, I don't really like to pray over people because my prayers are really weird and awkward. I get it. Listen, this is a true example of one of our earlier prayers in, in our early on in our relationship. Dear Jesus, Jesus, God, Father in heaven, uh, God, bless him, bless Bless Butch. Uh, and, and Jesus, God, oh. Okay, that's exactly how prayers used to go in our house. But God doesn't care. And neither should your spouse. You are taking the leap and you're praying over them. You're play, praying blessings over them. Do that. Do that every day. If you can't, shoot them a scripture. Say, hey, this made me think of you today. This made me think of what we're going through. And I know we're going to make it through together. Hey, by the way, I prayed for you this morning. You wouldn't believe the way that my day turns around when he sends me a text and he says, hey, I'm praying for you. I hope you have a great day. Just that simple. Do Bible studies together. Do devotionals. You can find weekly devotionals that take 10 minutes. Make God the very center of your marriage. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27 talks about two men. And one of them builds their house on, on a rock. And on God's word. The second one builds his house on sand. Let me read it to you. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching, this is Jesus talking, and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I do not want my marriage to collapse. Therefore, I center it around God's word and on God. You don't know what we've been going through. You don't know the things that he says to me. You don't know the way that she makes me feel. You're absolutely right, I do not. But God does. And if you've not committed to making him the center of your marriage yet, today seems like a good day to start. Number seven, 12 minutes. I'm rocking through it. Number seven, communicate. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Be intentional with your communication. Listen, thinking thoughts about your spouse and actually expressing them are two different things. Do not do damage to your marriage. Do not do disservice to your marriage by staying silent, by staying indifferent, by thinking, well, that's probably just going to go away. If I leave it alone, it'll probably go away. Or you know what? Let me just brush this right here under this rug, and I'm just going to ignore that. 
you have to communicate. Communicate to learn who your spouse actually is. Communicate your needs and your wants and in turn listen to their needs and their wants. Communicate when you've been hurt. Communicate when you want something to change. Communicate always with love and respect and never with contempt and criticism. We mentioned that in that video. We said we don't let, we don't let anything go unturned. You know, I, I'm the more hot-headed of the two of us, and so, you know, my temper, it can switch like that. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to let you have this moment here, but we're going to come back, and we're going to fix this. I'm going to give you a little bit of time, but neither one of us is leaving this house. Neither one of us is going to bed. It's not happening until we sit down and we talk about how to fix this. And it might be ugly for a minute, and it might be uncomfortable, it might be really stinky for just a second, but you have invested in your marriage, you have fixed a problem, you have in turn strengthened a part of your marriage. How many of you guys try to go on regular date nights? Yeah, yeah, we do too, show of hands, yeah. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Your next date night, whether it's with your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whoever it is, your next date night, I want to challenge you to ask each other questions that encourage communication. I don't want you to talk about your kids' schedules. I do not want you to look at your phone. As a matter of fact, turn your phone off. Ooh, somebody said, ooh. Uh, turn your phone off. Ask questions that encourage communication. My husband and I will sit down and he'll say, hey, where do you see us in five years? Where do you see us in 10 years? What can I do better? And, and, you know, I'll ask him things like, what can I help you with this next week? Tell me, give me some different things that I can help you with. What can I do less of? What can I do more of? And we communicate to learn more about each other. We communicate to strengthen our relationship and strengthen our marriage. Number eight, a thriving marriage has two people who have learned how to forgive. See, we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. That includes your spouse. Human nature makes us really quick to extend forgiveness and grace and give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. But when it comes to our spouse, that's a little bit harder. We give ourselves room to be a work in progress, but we expect them to be a finished product. There is no other relationship in your life that will call you to selflessness and forgiveness like your marriage will. Not even with your kids. I give my kids selflessness and forgiveness just freely because they came from me. They're my blood. It's a little bit harder to give it to that guy when he makes me mad. Let me ask you this. Let me pose this question to you. What if God designed your marriage to be the place where you learn how to extend grace and forgiveness? I've been reading this book, and it's been really good. I just finished it. It's called Sacred Marriage. If you're looking for any kind of marriage book out there, even if you're not married, it is a really, it challenges everything that you think about marriage. Uh, if I would have read this 11 years ago, I probably would have been blown away because of the way that it challenges you. But he says in this book, he says, our spouses will never achieve sinlessness. It just won't happen. We will be sinned against, and we will be hurt. When that happens, we have a choice to make. We can give in to our hurt and our resentment and our bitterness, or we can grow as Christians and learn yet another important lesson on how to forgive. 
Number nine, and the very last way to a thriving marriage is glorify. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. The sole purpose of my marriage is not to make me happy. Let me say that again. The sole purpose of my marriage is not to make me happy. Happiness is a variable, not a constant. Happiness is affected by circumstance. Neuroscience says that if you base your marriage on temporary things like infatuation or romanticism, oh, he makes me feel like this, or oh, she makes me feel like this, if you base it off of things like that, even off of happiness that can oftentimes be temporary, that that lasts for 12 to 18 months. So if you base your marriage off that, you'd need to get married roughly about every year to two years in order to be happy. Let me tell you what the purpose of my marriage is. The purpose of my marriage is to help teach me to be more like Christ. It's to help teach me how to love like Christ. The purpose of my marriage is to teach me how to be selfless and forgiving. The purpose of my marriage is to glorify God with my husband in ways that I never could have done alone. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for every marriage in this building. I thank you for every relationship in this building. I thank you that you're strengthening people. I thank you that we have this covenant, we have this bond, we have this promise called marriage. And I, I pray that we will never take that for granted. I pray that we will cultivate it and we will grow it. And we will have exceptional, exceptional relationships and exceptional marriages that our kids can look back and say, that's what I want. I want what mom and dad had. And if we don't have that yet, I pray that you give us the grace and the patience to wait for it. And to know when it's right in front of us, I pray that you bless us with the people who were made for us, with the people that you designed specifically for us. I thank you for the opportunity to speak to your people. I pray that I never take this opportunity, this humbling experience for granted. As every head is bowed, maybe you're here today and you can't love your spouse the way that Christ loves them because you've never experienced the love of Christ. Maybe some of these steps to a thriving marriage are lacking because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you had a relationship and things happened and life got in the way and you grew apart from God. Whatever the case may be, I want to give you the opportunity to make things right this morning. I want you to have an exceptional marriage. I want you to have an exceptional life. And the very first step to that is having a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you today, I don't want you to leave here without making this decision. I want to give you the opportunity, but I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come down here to the front. I'm not going to lay hands on you. No one has to know that you've made this decision. We're all going to pray a prayer here in just a second, the whole church, so that nobody feels singled out. But I do want to know that there are people who want to pray that prayer. So if that's you today and you say, that's me, I don't know how to do this, because I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want you to simply slip your hand up and slip it right back down. 
just want to know if there are people in here that need to pray this prayer. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand right there. Okay, we're all going to pray this prayer together. I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. I thank you for loving me enough to take my place. I pray that you will forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life today, Jesus. Make me a new creation in you. Take my life and use it to bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate with those today who gave their lives to Christ.